From Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, this is Crosswalk. Thanks for joining us. Pastor Clay is away this week. With this week's message, here's our student pastor, Kale Little. I want to tell you a funny little story, uh, what happened to me yesterday. Because um, on Memorial Day weekend, that's a weekend that Katie and uh, the whole family gets together. We, we love to use the long weekend to spend on the lake. And uh, yesterday we were with some family friends uh, of her folks, and they were uh, letting us use all their uh, paddleboard and being pulled on the tube, and uh, there's something else I did as well. Uh, wakeboard, thank you. Uh, <laughs> which is the whole point of the story, actually, <laughs> because I had never wakeboarded before, and uh, when he was like, all right, when you, when you get in the water, you need to keep your knees up, and you need to uh, push down, and you need to stand up that way, and then once you get there, then, you know, and he goes through this list of all the things that I need to keep in mind, and I'm like, how hard do I hold on, you know? <laughs> so uh, they, they, they pull off, and, and I get up for about two seconds, and then I immediately fall into the water, and it takes me a long time. It felt like forever uh, of me trying to get back up, and uh, I kept at it, though, and the next time I did get up, because I did, um, I was up for maybe five seconds or so, and then I hit the water with my face. <laughs> and that hurts really bad. I was telling Matt that this morning. That's how he knew wakeboard. And uh, he said, it's surprising how hard water can be. And I, I said, yes, that is. But when, when I hit my face, it jarred my teeth, and, and I bit my tongue a little bit. And so as I was praying and looking toward this morning, I was uh, just reminded that uh, every word I speak uh, matters. <laughs> and there, there's some effort to everything that I say, and, and I want that to be, to be the case. So I kind of see it as a little bit of God's reminder saying, be careful with how you speak of me, and, uh, because it's important to speak rightly uh, so that we can stand and even maybe walk on water a little bit. So um, <clears throat> we're going to we're going to do something a little odd today. Uh, I'm going to tell you two messages. We're going to do two sermons in, in one. Uh, the first is the sermon that I thought I was going to be giving. And the second is in light of what I'd thought. Okay. So it, I'm excited. It's going to be interesting. Uh, I've never encountered this before. Um, so here we go. But it, it's going to start in the book of James. Um, when Pastor Clay asked me to fill in on Memorial Day weekend, uh, I told him that God was preparing something already. And that was one word, and that was faith. That there's something about faith. And he was, God was speaking so much to me and teaching me about what it meant to trust him and uh, to, that he was faithful and how faithful I needed to be and, and all that that meant. And it was getting into finals week, and I needed a lot of faith to get through it. So I was thinking... Yeah, Pastor Clay, I'll preach on faith. And so in preparation, I went to the book of James, which is after the book of Hebrews, which expounds beautifully on faith. And we're going to be studying Hebrews as the youth group and over summer camp. Um, so I went to James because James says, faith without works is dead. He says, it's, yeah, you believe it, but what are you going to do about it? Um, show me that. And so he, he starts to unpack a little bit about what faith is. But there's a lot to 
five chapters of a book. And so I, I kept praying, I kept seeking the Lord, where do you want me to be? Where do you want us to study? Where do you want us to hear from you? And a section in chapter 3 and a section in chapter 4 came to light. So we're going to read that, and then I'll start with the questions of this morning. And then we'll get to the point of the first sermon, (laughs) and then we'll start the second. Sound good? All right. James chapter 3, verse 13. Lord says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And if you carry that idea of harvest to verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen in purpose of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray and uh, then we'll talk. Lord, I have rarely been so aware of how unclean my lips are. So I pray that as we look into your word, that we hear your words, that we see a glimpse of your glory. And even, Lord, that we'd be brave enough to see a glimpse of what glory you've promised for us when our faith is in you. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, to get to the point of what that first sermon was going to be, it was essentially, do what you say. Do what you say. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. That an integrity of speech is vitally part of faith. That if we say, I believe God, then do our actions follow that confession? And 
that's a pretty good theme we can see throughout James. He has an entire chapter called Taming the Tongue, which is in chapter 3. Integrity of speech really matters. Speaking the truth really matters. So it kind of brought me to the point of asking, well, what is truth, or how do we do that? And if we're to boil those points down of speak the truth, he even says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. There's a be truthful with the Lord, and there's a be truthful with one another. Look at things rightly. Look at the world and our lives and other people, and look at God as it is. And how, how often do we look at the world or look at ourselves and think things are fine or think that the world is a certain way and then if we start to hear the story or understand the context, we start to realize that we didn't quite understand it as well as we thought we did. So that's sermon one. <laughs> As the time got closer to today, I still didn't have an outline. I still didn't have even the exact passage we were going to be in. And not only that, I, it wasn't like I hadn't prayed about it. It wasn't like I hadn't thought about it. It wasn't like I hadn't read. I'd read the entire book of James three or four times. But I also looked at how I'd spent the time since my graduation and to come to today and to look at an outlinelessness faith and how I'd spent my time watching a lot of YouTube videos or reading books for fun or uh, spending time with friends or uh, working around the house but not having devoted to what I'd said I would do. I found myself feeling very, very faithless. And so with, with the topic of faith, I had to confront two questions. Is he faithful? And am I faithful? Is he faithful? And am I faithful? And so... To that question, I went to bed last night. I didn't know exactly what the Lord was going to do or say. I'll admit, I had the temptation to make a sermon outline, because I've been through seminary, I can do that. I know what it looks like. Or even to scrap it and go back to a sermon that I spoke around this time to the youth a year ago. There's no way they would remember that. Uh, <laughs> on the memorial stones and crossing the Jordan and how Israel put these stones in place to remember what God had done. And it is Memorial Day. It would, have, it would have fit. But that wouldn't have been honest to where I was and to the Word. And so it's with that context that I came to my quiet time this morning. And I was in Jeremiah 1 where God speaks to Jeremiah and he says, go and speak to the people what I will tell you. And I was like, cool, what are you going to tell me? <laughs> and Jeremiah's response was, Lord, I'm young. I don't have the words. And God said, go anyway. 
And the words that he unpacked seemed more like they were right to me than to anyone else. He said, and I'll summarize four chapters. We're, gonna, we're not going <laughs> to... That's how many I ended up reading because I was just trying to hear what he was trying to say so much. And Tyler told me not to read four chapters to y'all because uh, there's, there's too much to go through. And God has something to say here. So what we're going to do is uh, going to draw out the main ideas. I think you can appreciate that. <laughs> uh, he says, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch, which also sounds like the word watching. And I was, I was already rejoicing because God uses a pun. He says, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Because almond in Hebrew sounds like watching, so God plays a pun. I loved it. Uh, he says, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Already out of chapter 1, he's saying, if you speak my words, Though you don't know where all the people are, I will speak. And to start off the next sections, but as he started to unpack to Jeremiah, he says, They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. And that's something that God's been teaching me too, is there's some, there's some balance between work and faith, and faith and work, and how, how sometimes when, we're, when we work, then we're being faithful, and sometimes when we work, we're doing it in our own strength, and we're being faithless. Is he faithful, and am I faithful? And he starts chapter 2 telling Jeremiah to tell the people of Israel, hey, you started out and I remember the devotion of your youth, how much you loved me. You were like a young bride. And our love was pure. It was beautiful. It was good. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? And down into verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Hey, we sang about the fountains of living waters. This is that verse. <laughs> and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So I'm going off the cuff here to say that I've always sung that song and been like, why, why is the, the video we have only of desert? <laughs> we're, talk, we're singing about water, right? And because this is where God has us this morning, I think I understand, is we keep going to deserts and we have to keep remembering the truth that is, he is the living water, even if we can't see it. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A little bit further in the chapter, he says, For long ago I broke your yoke and burst your bonds, but you said, I will not serve. And on every high hill and under every green tree, you bowed down like a whore. Yet I planted you a choice vine, 
wholly of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? I didn't plant you for this. Why, why are you growing like this? Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me. You can't escape because I know all things. And he goes on saying, speaking of how Israel, they, they went to the trees and the rocks and they're like, oh yeah, it's your, I'm from you and oh, you are my strength. And they, they fashion these idols from their hands and it's the work of their hands that they then begin to rejoice in and to serve. And they've turned from the one who loves them. Again and again throughout these chapters, he describes it as a spouse who has turned from the spouse, as a wife who's turned from their husband, he being our husband. We know from the New Testament that Scripture talks of the church as being the bride of Christ. And verse, uh, chapter 3, at the very beginning, it, this just shattered me says, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not that land be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers, and would you return to me, declares the Lord. Further down, he says, you have the forehead of a whore, and yet you refuse to be ashamed. The worst part of it is that Israel won't admit their fault. And we see that through, throughout these chapters as well. Uh, I'm summarizing again, but he, he says that you, you say, oh, I haven't bent to Baal. I haven't, I haven't bowed down to that God. He's like, yeah, but you're not bowing to me. You're not loving me. He says, you, you act like you have no guilt. And, and then just now, verses 4 and 5, you say, my father, you are the friend of my youth. Will you be, you'll be angry forever? Will you be indignant to the end? And you, you come back so late. <laughs> you come back so late. And you'll only come back because you've been caught. you only come back because you've been caught. And, and this is just shattering me. Do how do we handle truth? Remember the context of what I originally had wanted to say is that it matters what we, say, what we say and how we say it and how we view truth. So if we only bend to truth when caught, we're treating God like this. Later on in the chapter, he calls the faithless Israel to repentance. He says, return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful. It's, we, need, we need to hear exactly who we are in all the nakedness and the vulnerability and the openness of seeing that. And it's there even that he says, return. I will not look at you in anger. I'm merciful. 
return, O faithless children, declares the Lord. For I'm your master. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And Zion is Jerusalem, but it's not just Jerusalem. It's the mount on which Jerusalem was built. And throughout Scripture, when you see Zion, it comes with the glory and the presence of God. It's where he dwells. And to the Jews, that was signified by the temple being built there. But this is where God dwells. And in the New Testament, it says that there's a new Zion, this new Jerusalem, this place that you're being called to. So I'm giving you a foreshadowing, a little bit of a taste, but he says, I will bring you to Zion. A little further down, I said, how would, how I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, a heritage most beautiful of all nations. And I thought you would call me my father and would not turn from following me. Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. There, he says, return, O faithless, I will heal your faithlessness. Behold, we come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Now this is a confession. Truly the hills are a delusion. The orgies on the mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. So what do we see from three chapters? We see that even God's people, even though who, those who have confessed that He is their God, stray. Is he faithful then? Is he faithful when we're not faithful? If we look really, really plainly at ourselves, am I faithful? And we look at the first one and we're like, is he faithful? Yes. He's faithful. He always is. And if we look at Am I faithful? I imagine your answer at first, like mine was, eh, sometimes. More than I'm not, I hope. <laughs> and I hope that he sees that. I hope he sees the goodness and the, the effort of faith and obedience that I would want to, to live by. It's so easy to end up asking, am I faithful and judging our status before the Lord based on the answer to the second question rather than the first. To give a personal, rather vulnerable uh, example, when uh, Kate and I first got married, uh, I, and even before we got married, I played a lot of video games. And uh, for the most part, it was I would play at home, and then if we were going out to hang out or something, then I would, you know, I would join them. But when I was at home, it was my time, and that was fine. Uh, <laughs> but then, uh, then we started living together, right? And we are now one. And home is now her home as well. And my free time kind of counts as her free time too. Or, well, she was in school. So I had a lot more free time than she did. And there were times where I would disappear. I would just be like, eh. Studying on the couch next to you is not something I really want to do right now. So I would, I would just, 
you know, quietly slip away and I'd go play games with some friends or they would text me and they'd be like, hey, you want to you join or play some games? And I'd be like, sure. And that moved into, I would start staying up later and later and playing more games and then they would sign off because it would be late and I would keep playing. And sometimes they'd even look at me and they'd say, uh, or they wouldn't look at me because we were on Skype calls. They would say, shouldn't you go to bed? Like, <laughs> your wife's studying till late and she's already in bed. I'd be like, no, it's fine. I'm just, you know, I've, I've got to keep up this because I have a night shift and I need to, you know, keep up the circadian rhythm <laughs> or something. I deceived myself on how addicted I'd become until I failed an entire semester of seminary while I was online, doing online courses. I'd, I just didn't even submit my finals because the game, there were things going on and friends I'd made that that was more important to me. And I didn't look at it clearly to say, oh, you're saying that what you want to do is more important than what you said God uh, asked you to do. That I didn't look at it that way. I was just like, but these people are counting on me. <laughs> and I looked back and I'm like, are you insane? <laughs> and I realized kind of that I, I, I couldn't, my, what I told myself was that I couldn't, I couldn't pass my classes if I was doing online classes because I just wasn't disciplined enough. And so I needed to be there in person. And honestly, I do learn much better in person. And being able to interact with the professors and, the, and the, those in your school and um, those around me, like, I, I, much, I do learn much better that way. But I was also deceiving myself. It was both. Both were true. Worst off is that I did not tell Katie that I had failed a semester of courses. So we moved here under the pretense of me being faithful to God and answering his call to the ministry. And it wasn't until she, I told her that I could not, by the school's standards, take more than two classes because I was on academic probation my GPA was so low that she said, why? <laughs> and I was caught. That was a really tough conversation. And a little bit later when God had me to the fire with a professor and I had to share my GPA and my schoolwork with him and everything that was going on and uh, in order to prove that and get out of academic probation to be able to take more classes. It wasn't until then and how God started to show that counseling and ministry to students and their families and how important that is and that that needed to be something to add to the ministry, that no student exists by themselves, but they're all part of a family. And that if you speak truth and help a student, you're helping the whole family. And if you help the parents and you, you encourage even, you're helping the whole family. As he started to show me that and point to counseling is, is also something I'm, I'm calling you to. 
I came in excitement to Katie, and I said, this is what God's adding. Isn't this great? It's so exciting. And her response was kind of like God's in the first two chapters. How can I trust you? And I, I really resisted that. I was like, how could you not? I'm your husband. She's like, well, you lied to me so a lot <laughs> and on really big things. So you should probably, you know, sort that out. And she was right to withhold her trust, which I had treated poorly. Because what God did with that was that I had to say, I will be truthful to the best of my ability from now on. And even if it's difficult, and even if I don't want to, and even if I have to be truthful before I'm caught, I have to return to her in the difficult things. I have to return to people when I know I have done them wrong but they don't know it. I've got to be truthful. Because that faithfulness is true. We can't be faithful and live a lie. And God is truth. And He knows who we are in the barest sense possible. In the barest sense possible. And he knows we are capable of so much more. I graduated taking more classes than I thought was physically possible. And really, he proved at the end that it wasn't physically possible, but that he still could come through. And I still don't understand that. I'd love to talk more about that further if you want to later, but that's not the point of this message, is that I needed to return to those whom I had broken trust with. And what Katie showed me, and what God shows me, even today, and shows all of us who put our faith in Him, is that He is faithful. That we wonder, will you take us back? I, I said when I was a kid, Lord, I put my faith in You. But it's been years. Or Lord, I I told you yesterday, nope, won't do that again. And look at me now. Here I am. Lord, I said I wouldn't do this thing again. And I'm doing this thing. And in the essence, it's the same heart issue. How can I come to you? He says, return to me. And this this is what's so beautiful. Because... In the journal prior, he spent months teaching me this. And it revolved around a single verse. That's Hosea 2.20. Which says, I will betroth myself to you in righteousness and in justice. I will betroth myself to you in mercy I'm messing it up. (laughs) I will betroth myself to you in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. 
that our relationship with Him, He has betrothed Himself to us and He will never let us go. He has married Himself to His people. So if we have put our faith in Him, He will never let us go. That is a truth we can take into eternity. And in fact, He promised that that is the case. He has betrothed Himself to us in faithfulness. No matter how faithless we may be, no matter how faithful sometimes. So, the question, is he faithful? And am I faithful? Let's talk about the promise. Turn to Romans 8. And I can't summarize this because this is, this is his promise. So we're, we're going to read it starting in verse 18. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Let me pause there. What is our hope? Our hope is that we will be glorified in perfection with perfect God. That no longer will we break relationship with our spouse. That's the imagery. Because it hurts us and we know it hurts him. And we don't want to do that anymore. But right now we keep doing it and it's painful and it, we suffer. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. In this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? We're not there yet. We're not there yet. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. We are predestined to look like Jesus in his perfection. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That God uses our faithlessness and our faithfulness to keep pointing us back to him. So I've read a lot, so I think I'll try to sing this next segment. What then shall we say in response to this? What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is He that condemns? Who is He that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written... For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Jesus Christ our Lord. I was reminded of David in 2 Samuel 16 that when the Ark of the Covenant came into Jerusalem that he was so excited for what God was doing and that the presence of God was being brought into this place that he danced naked before the people. And he sang... And so in the vulnerability of how I know how deep his love goes, and in the vulnerability of singing a song, 
that that's worth something. And it's in light of that, asking the question, is he faithful? Am I faithful? And what we read of in James, how how we're waiting. I've got to read it. Hold on a second. I've got to read it. Because when I came back to it, I saw it with new eyes. James chapter 4, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Because we don't see perfection yet. We don't see full faithfulness yet. Be patient until you see the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And we just heard from Jeremiah, a prophet of the Lord, how he had to honestly and clearly speak to the people, though the people were going to say, you haven't heard from the Lord, we're the priests, we're the people of God. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So what's our answer? What is our answer? Is he faithful? His answer is, he is, I am. To our question, Lord, are you faithful? I am who I am. It is in his very nature to be faithful and steadfast, long-suffering, patient and loving to his people. Am I faithful? In my yeses and in my noes, Faithfulness is saying, come, faithful one. Our salvation isn't in whether or not we have been faithful. If we were faithful yesterday, or if we're faithful today, or if we will be faithful tomorrow. Our faithfulness is not bound up in the faithfulness of our parents, or in the faithfulness of our friends. Our faithfulness is not bound up in the dogma or the the doctrine, or how disciplined we are. Our faithfulness is not bound up in how long our quiet time is, or how well we sing, or how many people we share the gospel with. Our faithfulness is bound in whether or not we turn to the Lord and speak the truth. Sometimes that involves us speaking the truth of who we are, what we've done, how we've transgressed against ourselves or our friends. Even in this passage, he says, do not grumble against one another. 
This is the gospel perspective. That if this is the love and the faithfulness of God, even when we are not faithful, how do we treat friends or enemies or just people in general? We treat them with the love and the faithfulness and the long-suffering patience that He has shown us. And when we fail in doing that, (laughs) it's okay to admit it. It's right to admit these things. In our yeses and our noes, faithfulness is saying, come faithful one, because we wait with groaning and eager expectation for when he will come again and we will be reunited with him and we will, when we will be made perfect with him. This is the gospel we are to share. That's why Paul says, not like I've yet laid hold to this, but I run with endurance. Let that segue back into the messages Pastor Clay is preaching through 1 Corinthians because it's just so perfect how his message remains pure and consistent always because he is pure and consistent and faithful always. This is the God we worship. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.